The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. It was uh, Ian Bounds. Ian Bounds was a, a pastor, an author, a spiritual leader in the 19th century, and he led a spiritual revival in Franklin, Tennessee uh, through his emphasis on prayer. He's written many books on prayer. And he said this, he says, we are constantly on a stretch, if not on a strain, to devise new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency for the gospel. This trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of the man or sink the man in the plan or the organization. God's plan is to make much of the man, far more of him than anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. It was uh, John Calvin who said, how wily Satan has been in bringing in worthless men in order to bring contempt and shame on God's word. For if pastors are despised, the word too will be despised and trodden underfoot. And the Apostle Paul understood that. And he understood that if the church of God was to advance, uh, if there was to be enlargement, if there was to be a securement of the uh, efficiency of the gospel, that the church didn't need better programs, it needed better men. Which is why he writes Titus, this apostolic delegate in the book of Titus and leader of the church in Crete, and he told them to appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And why, why did he say that? It's because that's, that's how the church is to be set in order. It's by the, the men that you put into place. The men that you appoint is how the church is set in order. And in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains. So appoint elders. That, that word for set in order, it's one word in the Greek. It comes from the word epideortho. Uh, you have the, the ortho in that word. It means to set straight. You know, you go to the orthodontist and his job is to set your teeth straight. You go to an orthopedic surgeon, his job is to set your feet straight. When I was young, I used to wear these orthopedic shoes to try to straighten out my feet. And Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete in order that you would set the church straight. But it's impossible to set the church straight with crooked men. And the main task that Titus was given was to find godly, qualified leadership that he could trust the church into the hands of. Men who were committed to the family as a priority. In verse 6, it speaks about uh, men who were one-woman men devoted to loving their wives. As Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. We know that from Ephesians 5. They're to be devoted to their, their spouses. They're to be bringing up children in the, the discipline and admonition of the Lord, raising up a godly seed. They're to be men committed to personal holiness, watching over their hearts with all diligence. Men who are trustworthy, sacrificial, patient, sober in judgment, gentle, content with what they have. There are also to be men who are committed to the truth. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And why do we need men like this? It's because there are so many who are not. 
That's why we need qualified men, because there are so many who are not. Many who have found their way into church leadership who are unqualified men. And I understand that today is a celebration, and it should be. You know, we're celebrating the appointment of Jeff Weaver. But there's also an appropriate sense of sobriety that comes along with this as well. Because we understand that the greatest threats for the church come from the inside, right? Acts chapter 20, verses 28, starting at verse 28, it says, Be on your guard for yourselves, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock, and listen to this, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. The greatest threats, the Scripture says, come from, from within. And he says that there are many, many threats. Why do we need more qualified men? Because there are so many who aren't qualified. In verse 10 of uh, Titus chapter 1, if you want to flip over there, Titus chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Starting at verse 10, it says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and Father, we are grateful for your word. Father, your word is rich. Your word is powerful. Lord, your word cuts. Your word is convicting. It's challenging. And Father, we thank you that as a church and as elders, Lord, that we sit underneath this word. And Father, that, that we need to hear this word because we need to make sure that Baltimore Bible Church is protected, that it's guarded, and that we watch over our lives and our teaching. And Father, I pray that, that as we think through these things, Lord, that we would all sense the sobriety of what it means to aspire to leadership. And Father, that we would give you praise for those who are qualified and those who are being appointed to leadership. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your truth and that you would use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do with the time that I have left is uh, to give you nine ways to identify pastoral malpractice. We hear a lot about medical malpractice. Today, we're going to look at nine ways to identify pastoral malpractice. Number one, a false shepherd somebody who's involved in pastoral malpractice, rejects authority. Look at verse 10. It says, for there are many rebellious men. Rebellious men, what does that mean? It's, it's a word that means not subject to rule. Uh, the Greek word is hupotasso. Uh, 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 it's from the word hupotasso, you know, to fall in rank, to fall in line. And this is a person who does not fall in line. Somebody who's rebellious, rebellious men. It's a word that's used for those who break rank. 
It's a person who's rebellious, insubordinate, doesn't listen to authority. And the question is, if he's rebellious, who is this person rebellious to? And the answer here would have been to the Lord and to the true teachers. Within the context in verse 9, he speaks about holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That's what the elders are to do. And who are the rebellious men? The rebellious men are those who don't listen to that exhortation. Those who do not listen to that refutation. It's a person who refuses to recognize any authority outside of his own. People who are a law unto themselves, they're accountable to no one, they answer to no one. And the mark of a rebellious man is that nobody can reprove him. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 6 says, We are from God, and he who knows God listens to us, referring to the apostles. You know, those who know God listen to the apostles. Those who know God listen to the word of God. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Do you know how you can tell a true shepherd from a false one? What is his attitude towards the word of God and towards those who direct him to the word of God? Because if he cannot listen to God through his word, then why should you listen to that man, right? And these people may come across as having great wisdom, but they never seek wisdom outside of themselves. They're like Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. This is the kind of person who is not open for input from others because he's already got everything figured out. He's quick to argue. He's quick to justify himself. Because after all, you know, he's the man of God. You know, he's the Lord's anointed. You can't listen to anybody. Untouchable. No, touch not the Lord's anointed. All out of context. But even the apostle Paul was willing to be subject to investigation, right? Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Paul considered the believers at Berea to be more noble-minded. Why? Because they received the word with great eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They examined Paul according to the word. And in Galatians, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Let him be accursed. Nobody is above scrutiny. It doesn't matter what title you have. And the false shepherd resents scrutiny. I don't want anybody checking me out. I don't want anybody coming behind me. You know, just take my word for it. That's a false shepherd. Number two, a false shepherd focuses on triviality. Triviality. Look at verse 10 again. These men are rebellious men, empty talkers. It's a compound word. It means uh, vain speech, idle talk. You know, they, they, they speak a lot. They sound impressive. They may be well-read, but when you really take the time to examine the content... Like, there's nothing of substance there. Like, what's, what's really there? You know, they, they talk a lot, but it's like, where's the, where's the meat? You know, like that old Wendy's commercial. You know, it's like, I see the bun and the lettuce and the tomato, but where's the beef? Where, where's the substance in here? Paul gives an example of focusing on minors a little later on in verse 14. He says, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Don't, don't get involved in all these side issues. You know, myths and commandments of men and genealogies. He'll talk about that later on. Chapter 3 and verse 9, he says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law. They're unprofitable and worthless. 
Like, like turn away from worthless things, empty talk. Things, things that don't build people up, that don't edify. It's all empty talk and it gains nothing and it means nothing. It's like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They said in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 23, Jesus said about them, he says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. You know, you're all out here busy, worried about how much do the garden spices weigh. You know, separating out your, your, your little, little spice racks. It's like you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. Why are you getting involved in all these little trinkets for? And this is what false teachers do. They, they, they deal with all the little minor issues. You know, that's what they, 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 uh, they kind of have their, their, their wares in, all the minor stuff. Jesus said, these are things you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, the, the gnat was like the smallest of the unclean animals, and the camel was like the largest. It's like, you know, you're, you're so focused on these minor details, and you're swallowing a camel. You know, you want to strain out a drink so that you don't mistakenly swallow a gnat, and then you sit at a table and you start cutting the camel open. It's like, what, what do you think? What are you doing? I remember I was sitting next to a lady on a flight, uh, she was on her way back home from gambling in Vegas, and she told me stories about how big her margaritas were and how much fun she had, and then she noticed that I opened up my Bible, and she said, uh, she proceeded to tell me that she was an elder at a Presbyterian church, uh, a Presbyterian church that, uh, that openly supported gay ministers, is what she told me, and she quickly passed over, over that piece of information that she just gave me. And she says, but I want to know more about your church. Can you tell me, uh, do you use wafers or crackers or bread in your serving of communion? Do your elders serve communion or do your deacons serve communion? How often do you serve communion? Uh, what, what kind of drink do you use in your service of communion? And I'm just like, are we having this conversation right now? It's like, is this serious? You know, after you told me how much of a great time you had with your margaritas and gambling and supporting openly gay ministers, and now you want to, and being a, a, an elder yourself, which I didn't even get to, but it's like, and now you want to talk to me about this? I turned to her and I let her know that she'd be held accountable by God for the kind of lifestyle that she was promoting, shared the gospel with her told her what the scripture had to say, and she says, you know, I, I appreciate that, but I just feel like my God is bigger than the scriptures. Focusing on triviality. You know, totally skip over the gospel, skip over holiness of life, and you want to talk about what kind of crackers do we have in communion. Triviality. These are the signs of a false teacher. They focus on what's trivial. Number three, false shepherds lack integrity. Verse 10, for these rebellious, empty talkers and deceivers, they lack integrity. False shepherds are known by their deception, specifically deception in their teaching. They, they lead others away unsuspectingly. Now, this is the kind of person who purposefully shades the truth in order to lure you in. They present half of the truth as the whole truth. Half of a story is the full story. They mislead you regarding their true motives and intentions. They're not worried that you follow the scriptures so much as they're worried that you follow them. They'll defend themselves rather than defend God, and they twist the scriptures for their own ends. 
the, the circumcision that's mentioned here, especially those of the circumcision, it says uh, the circumcision was another way to refer to Jewish people. But these would have been a, a Jewish people who would have claimed to be converts to Christianity. And it would have made them dangerous because they said, yeah, we believe in Jesus too, but also you need to kind of come back under the law. They claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ, but they were really making proselytes for Judaism. And that was the deception. They're, they're Jewish myths, commandments of men. They're, they're adding all that in. They're not faithful to Christ, but they're pretending to be. They're deceivers. And what's the remedy for this? Verse 11. Who must be silenced? It's, it's a word that means to stop the mouth. Stop their mouths. You take away their ability to talk. You don't give them a platform to speak. You don't invite them to give a sermon. You remove them from the Sunday school rotation. They don't lead small groups. You shut them up. Stop their mouths. Show them their fault. Convince them of their error. Reprove them severely. It means that you, you put them out of the, the church even if necessary. Titus 3, verse 10. It says if they're those who are pulling others after themselves, factious, after a first and second warning that you let them go. Because they must be stopped. But these are the people who are deceiving. They, they kind of slide in underneath the radar and try to pull people towards themselves. The Bible says watch out. Number four, false shepherds promote disunity. Look at verse 11 again. Who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach. They're, they're ruining families, upsetting, up. up Upheaval, you know, subverting the family structure literally means to overturn or to destroy. It was used in a literal sense in uh, John chapter 2 and verse 15 when Jesus drove out the money changers and overturned their tables, destroyed the tables. He says they're, they're upsetting families. Another ancient writer used the same word for, for those who break down a door. And the idea here is that, that false teachers have no regard for the home and they'll just break through the door. Just break in. A wrecking ball right through the family room. Homewreckers. It's actually one of the distinguishing marks of a cult. You know, that they try to kind of pick off family members, turn family members against one another. These are the kinds of people who have no respect for God, ordained authority, order, structure. They ignore the husband and his role in marriage. They're indifferent to the authority that the parents have over the children. Exclude the parents from any conversations. They thrive in isolation from the family. False shepherds are not concerned about the family's well-being, but only their own, and building up their kingdom through whatever fractured pieces they can get. And why is that true? Look at verse 11. They teach things they should not teach for what? For the sake of sordid gain. False teachers crave prosperity. I mean, does the Bible know how to nail a description or what? They crave prosperity. Motivated by shameful, sordid, filthy lucre. And it's not the money itself that's, that's filthy. It's their, their desires, their greedy desires. You know, often people misquote 1 Timothy 6.10 and say, you know, money is the root of all evil, but it's what? The love of it, the love of money. You know, why blame the money? It's not the money's fault. <laughs> it's your twisted desires that's the problem. It's the love of it. That's why the list of qualifications for, for leaders includes you're not to be fond of sordid gain, not given to filthy lucre. False teachers use their positions as a means of, of gain. We know that the scribes and Pharisees put on a show for the widows, hoping that uh, they could be profited by them. 
Jesus points that out in Mark 12, 40, where he condemns them for devouring widows' houses. Mark 12, 40, who devour widows' houses for appearance's sake. They offer long prayers. Sister, I'm just here to pray for you. I just, I just, you were on, the Lord laid you on my heart today. Just had to come by. And they offer these long prayers, hoping that they'll receive some kind of money. I remember uh, back in college, I was uh, invited to go see a person by the name of T.D. Jakes. He was in Niagara Falls. We went with a college group to go and see T.D. And uh, the pastor encouraged us to go, was excited about it, and the arena was packed out, Niagara Falls. And he had the whole crowd worked up. Everybody's, speak to your neighbor, neighbor. And after he kind of got the crowd worked up, he said, okay, now I need 1,000 people with $1,000 to come down to the front real quick. I want to pray for you. I need 500 people with $500 to come, come down over here on this side. I want to pray for you. 100 people with $100. You know, you could tell us going down, you know, less the opportunity, the less you have. And 50 people with $50 over here. I want to pray for you. And it stopped right there. And I'm, I'm here like, you got to pay to pray? <laughs> You know, a thousand people with a thousand dollars, that's a million dollars for a prayer. Talk about prosperity, but the only people prospering are the ones on top. They, they take advantage of the poor. And here in Titus 1.11, we're told that the teaching itself was purposefully designed to gain money. And how, how much of the teaching do we see on, you know, on air that that's all about getting money? Teaching to get money, to receive money. Conrad and Bayway writes, many churches have been discovered to be nothing more than fundraising outfits with the sole proprietorship maintained between the pastor and his wife. The pattern seems to be start a church, milk the congregation. The pastors basically prey on the vulnerable and the gullible. On TBN, which one pastor called the, the Wood, Hay, and Stubble Network, says there was an advertisement there where the, the person in charge says, if you're broke, if you're at your wit's end, if you're out of a job, out of work, let me tell you, not only are we going to bless the world and preach Christ to millions, but you can be saved yourself by planting seed in this fertile soil called TBN. Teaching in order to gain. False shepherds do that. False shepherds reject authority, focus on triviality, lack integrity, promote disunity, crave prosperity. Number six, false shepherds embrace conformity. They are like the world around them. Look at verse 12 and 13. So as one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. What is it saying? It's saying that these false teachers are just like the world around them. Cretans are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and so are these men, and you need to reprove them because they're just like the world. They're like everybody else. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 lets us know we're not to be conformed to this world. We're not to allow this world to squeeze us into its mold. False teachers, on the other hand, embrace conformity with the world. They look just like everybody else. Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And here Paul is actually quoting one of their own teachers, one of their own prophets who said this. And Paul says, I can't argue with him. He's right. Liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, that's what they are. You know, just like uh, Las Vegas has the, the reputation, has a reputation, so did Crete. Crete had a reputation. Sin City of its own day. And the false 
shepherds were just like the people around them. Cretans were liars. Even the, the verb to cretize meant to lie. You know, to be called a Crete was meant to be called a liar. They were evil beasts. It was said that on the island of Crete, they didn't have any wild animals, but they didn't need any because the people were the wild animals. Uncontrolled, lazy gluttons gave into their natural appetites, surrendered to their cravings. They were known for heavy drinking, lived according to their feelings and impulses. That's what they were known for. Jerry Bridges, in his book on the pursuit of holiness, he says, if your body makes all the decisions and gives all the orders, and if you obey, the physical can effectively destroy every other dimension of your personality. If, if you're just a person known to give in to every impulse, like, where do you say no? It's going to affect every part of your life. You need to learn how to discipline yourself. Learn how to say no sometimes. Push back from the table, whatever has to be done. Like, I'm in charge. <laughs> it says, reprove them, expose them, convict them. You know, it's like the amputation that saves a life. They, they need to be treated severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Uh, the word for, for sound is actually where we get our word hygiene from. Make them sound. Make them healthy. And the path back to health is listening to reproof. That's what he says here. Strong medicine is needed. Number seven, false shepherds teach unfaithfully or they engage in doctrinal infidelity. Look at verse 14. What do they pay attention to instead of the, the sound faith? They pay attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. That word, turn away from, it's a compound word that is really strengthened form of a, a verb to, to reject. It's like a full rejection. And what they reject is the truth, which indicates that they were at least exposed to it to reject it, right? They're, they're rejecting the truth. And, and what is the truth in this context? You know, follow, follow this with me. When, when the truth is used in Scripture, and there's a definite article in front of it, the truth. It's not just talking about, you know, particular statements that are true, but an entire body of doctrine that is true. That's what it's talking about. So that's why in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's, it's the, the, the doctrine of salvation. 2 Timothy 2 verse 25, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. It's, it's even synonymous with the gospel message itself. So what we're talking about here is, is salvation, gospel content. The faith is what we're talking about. And he says that these teachers turn away from the truth. And if you're turning away from the truth, you're turning away from salvation itself. And what we're talking about is not some minor deviation from Scripture, but a wholesale rejection of it. And false shepherds are those who turn men away from the truth. They turn away from the truth and turn others away from it. But where did this turning away from the truth start? Think about this. Did, did, it, did it start by men just kind of coming through the door saying, Jesus is not God, I don't believe in the Bible. That's, that's not where it starts. Where does it start? Paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men. That's where it starts. Man-made stories and man-made rules. As long as we still believe in Jesus, what's the big deal? The big deal is this. People turn away from the truth by degrees. And over time, they turn away from the truth. It starts out paying attention to this, listening to that, and then over time, over time, by degrees, eventually you're, you're completely 180 degrees faced in the opposite direction. That's how it works. 
Instead of focusing on the great realities of salvation, the false teachers of Titus' day wanted to focus on the myths, you know, extra-biblical stories that were passed down. Uh, Jewish rabbis often gave fanciful interpretations of Old Testament scripture. There's a, a popular Jewish philosopher by the name of Philo who promoted allegorical interpretation. You know, it, it doesn't mean what it says. There's like a hidden meaning behind it. That's what he really wanted to focus on. Commandments of men, traditions of the elders. Rabbis would even, you know, kind of uh, uh, put a, put a they, they, they consider themselves putting a fence around the, the law of God. You know, as long as you obey, you know, the law of God is so precious, we want to protect it. So we're going to build a fence around the law of God. And as long as you obey our rules, you don't have to worry about breaking God's rules. So whose rules became more important? Their rules. And they substituted their rules for the command of God. That's what Jesus talks about. You know, you, you, in order to obey your, your own laws that you've rejected the law of God. In genealogies in chapter 3 and verse 9, you know, speculation about who's related to who and interpretation based on family trees. And Paul says, just be done with all of this. Avoid it all. These are the people who turn away from the truth. False shepherds, full of depravity. Full of depravity. That's number, number eight. Full of depravity. Verse 15. It says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. False teachers are full of depravity, false shepherds. The word defiled means to be stained, polluted, contaminated, often used for ceremonial impurity. But Paul's not talking about ceremonial purity here. He's not talking about the food that you eat or the days that you observe. He's talking about moral and spiritual purity that comes from within. And that's what Jesus speaks about, Matthew 15. He says, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things that defile the man. And false shepherds, especially those of the circumcision, would have been most concerned with the ceremonial purity. But what Paul teaches here is that if you've been cleansed from the inside, you don't have to worry about the ceremonies because the, the purity comes from within, it's from the heart. You can't be ceremonially defiled if you're pure on the inside. But on the other hand, if you haven't been cleansed on the inside, nothing's pure for you. You actually defile everything that you touch because your defilement comes from within. It's like everything that you touch becomes contaminated. And isn't that what he says? He says to, to those who aren't pure, that nothing is pure, they're defiled. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Your insides are defiled. The way that you think is defiled. Why? Because they're unbelieving. It says to the unbelieving. And how are we made pure in God's sight? It's through faith, through belief, trusting in Christ. It says these people aren't, aren't believing. And nothing is pure for them. Even their conscience is defiled. And finally, false shepherds are marked by duplicity. Look at verse 16. It says they profess to know God, but by their deeds they what? They deny him being detestable, disobedient, worthless for any good deed. A false shepherd is not merely known by what he says. You know, you need to say the right thing. I mean, that, that's, 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 that's where you start. But right words are not enough. <laughs> Just saying the right thing is not enough because false shepherds say a lot of great things. False shepherds can be professional professors. They're the kind that speak much about their relationship with God. They might even claim to hear from God directly. They seem sincere in their words. 
Might seem powerful, but their life demonstrates something different. They say, I know God, but their works say, I don't. And Jesus says, you'll know them by their what? By their fruit. Luke 6, each tree is known by its own fruit. What does their life prove? Are they qualified men? If they're not, you shouldn't expect to get a good fruit from a bad tree. Men don't gather figs from thorns, nor do they expect to pick grapes from briar bushes. You don't expect to get anything spiritually profitable from a, a bad tree. Detestable, something abhorred, noun used for the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24. They're disobedient. It's more than just, you know, I fell into a transgression. It's I'm, I'm rebellious. They're worthless, it says. As if the other descriptions weren't devastating enough. Worthless, good for nothing. You know, I heard this, this illustration of a young child uh, who uh, found out that, uh, that his pastor was, was paid. And he says, that's, that's not fair. You know, he, he gets paid to be good and I have to be good for nothing. <laughs> but there's a lot of ministers who are paid who are good for nothing. <laughs> good for nothing. King James says, unto every good work, reprobate. And the idea here is that there's no good work that this kind of person is approved to do. They're unqualified for any good work. Any good work. You've been disapproved. Weighed in the balance, found wanting. You're not the real thing. Doesn't matter what you might say and you know, how much fruit it seems like you might have, how many people are coming to listen to you. If you haven't been approved for God by God, it means nothing. All means nothing. False shepherds, they reject authority focus on triviality, they lack integrity, they promote disunity, they crave prosperity, they embrace conformity with the world, they engage in doctrinal infidelity, they're full of depravity, and they're marked by duplicity. And the Bible says there are many out there, crooked ministers trying to straighten out the church. The book of Ezekiel, if you want to flip over there, Ezekiel chapter 34, and we'll end with this one, Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel was written during the time of the exile. Uh, uh, Ezekiel was a contemporary of, of Daniel. He's writing during the exile. And he addresses the, the spiritual leadership of his day. What was, what was the spiritual leadership doing while the children of God were in exile? What was going on? Listen to what Ezekiel says. How, how, how were the shepherds doing during this tumultuous time? During a time when the, the sheep were, were being scattered? What were, what were the shepherds doing? Look at Ezekiel 34. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The disease you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field, for lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves. 
and did not feed my flock? Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them. You're out of a job. Make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. And verse 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. (laughs) And later on, verse 23, it says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, which is speaking about Jesus as the Davidic king, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Jesus Christ becomes the chief shepherd. But what does the chief shepherd do? You find in John 21, he turns to a qualified man. He says, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend my lambs. I want you to take care of my sheep. And that's what shepherds are called to do. We're not to be like the false shepherds. The Bible says we're to submit to authority. We're to focus on what's primary. We're to be committed to honesty. We're to promote unity. We're to be content with humility. We're to reject conformity with the world. We're to maintain doctrinal fidelity. We're to be full of purity. And we're to be marked by integrity. And brother, that's our calling. That's our calling, Jeff. That's what we're called to do. And that's what every faithful minister of the gospel is called to do. This is the kind of man that God wants to lead his flock And those who can fill up the ranks of leadership because we have way too many unfaithful and unqualified shepherds in place, don't we? We need more qualified men. And by God's grace, uh, we've been blessed to have a faithful and a qualified man who's been given to us. So brother, hear these exhortations. These are exhortations for all of us, for all true and faithful shepherds. And we approach this task with sobriety because we know that these sheep do not belong to us. They belong to the Lord, and the Lord will require from us an account for those who he's given us the charge over. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We're just so grateful for this opportunity that we have to look at your word. Father, we thank you for the the sobriety of this. Father, this is a a sober calling, Uh, but it's it's a joyous calling. Our Father, those that, that serve well, there's a reward, as First Peter speaks about. There's a crown laid up for those who are faithful. And Father, there is judgment for those who are unfaithful with the task that's been given to them. And so Father, I pray that, that you would allow Jeff to be this kind of servant who stands against these things, that you would help Jeff to be a man who's submitted to authority, that he's focused on what's primary, that he's committed to being honest in all of his dealings. He's promoting unity within the church, that he's content with humility, that he rejects conformity to the world, that he maintains doctrinal fidelity, that he would be full of purity, pure of heart, and that his life would be marked by integrity and not duplicity. Father, I pray that you would make him that kind of man so that you may be glorified and that your church may be edified. Our Father, we give you praise for the gift that you've given to this church. And uh, we pray that you would 
Continue, uh, Lord, to, uh, uh, to bless uh, this congregation uh, with those who are faithful because Christ is so worthy of it. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.